I'm Jim Cuno, president of the J. Paul Getty Trust. Welcome to Art and Ideas, a podcast in which I speak to artists, conservators, authors, and scholars about their work. This was one of the only pictures that really disarmed the critics and was um, a resounding success. So in some ways, it's a, a crowning achievement of Manet's career. In this episode, I visit the galleries of the Getty Museum with associate curator Scott Allen to talk about a remarkable painting that has recently entered our collection, Edouard Manet's Jean Spring of 1881. A half-length portrait of the actress and model Jean de Marcy, Manet's painting depicts a fashionable young woman in profile against a lush background of flowering green bushes. Titled Jean, Spring, and dating from 1881, it is an exquisite and poignant picture, one of only two paintings Manet exhibited in the Salon of 1882, just a year before he died. The painting shows the artist's mastery of touch and color and his unabashed embrace of modernity. It is the third picture by Manet to enter the Getty Museum's collection. I joined curator Scott Allen in the gallery to discuss the painting. This is a picture that's, I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's, it's fairly modest in format, you know, less than a meter tall. But it was very significant for Manet because it's one of his last public exhibition pieces, which he exhibited in the Salon in Paris in 1882, um, just a year before he died. And in his entire 30-year career in the Salon, which, as many people know, was extremely contentious and controversial, um, this was one of the only pictures that really disarmed the critics and was um, a resounding success. So in some ways, it's a, a crowning achievement of Manet's career. He was you know, very dogged and determined to win over the public with his art, um, and yet he kept exhibiting these you know, tough, controversial pictures that people just could not even comprehend. But with this picture, which features a very chic, um, pretty, fashionable um, Parisian woman, or Parisienne, as they were called at the time, there was a charm factor with this picture that just won everybody over. I suppose and especially because it's, it's Pear, that is the picture with which he also exhibited in 1882, I think, is that right, at the Salon? Yes. Was the bar at the Folie Bergère, a much larger, more ambitious painting, a painting, or a painting of some sort of dour importance, and this is like the conceptual alternative to that painting. Were they exhibited anywhere near each other, do we know? They were in different rooms, as far as I understand it, and the bar at the Folie Bergère definitely got more commentary, but it was a contentious picture because of the way he had painted this mirror reflection behind the barmaid in that picture. And, and the bar, barmaid a, looks kind of sad and there's s- a, self withdrawn. a melancholy withdrawn. aspect to it. Um, she is much more um, self-possessed and aware of her her impact on, 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 on the viewer. What, what is the title of this painting? It was exhibited just as Jeanne, the first name of the model. So not strictly as a portrait, but rather as um, a picture of a certain type, and Jeanne really representing the type of the young Parisienne, and that's how critics talked about it. And but she's it was, in profile, and back behind her is a garden setting, I suppose you'd say. Yeah, And she's wearing a dress that itself is patterned with flowers and garden elements as if she were emerging as a kind of blossom on this bush behind her. 
Yeah, the composition is very decorative, and Manet was really interested at this time in finding ways to, to play figure off against ground. And, and as you're describing, she's, it's, it's quite a tight and compressed composition spatially. Um, um, as you mentioned, she's posed uh, in profile against this backdrop of greenery of flowering rhododendrons, and then she herself is wearing this kind of bright, um, form-fitting um, spring ensemble uh, day dress with fawn-colored suede gloves, uh, a nice bonnet with roses and marigolds uh, on it, and uh, an umbrella posed uh, over her shoulder. Would it, her dress have been recognized as fashionable at the time? It would have been recognized as up-to-the-minute chic, the latest fashion. And in fact, we know Manet, like a lot of his friends were very serious about women's fashion in the spirit of um, Baudelaire's famous painter of modern life. Feminine fashion was one of those sort of hallmarks of modernity and it was really central to Manet's conception of modern painting. And we know in the spring of 1881, when he was beginning to work on this picture, he was sort of actively going around the shops in Paris, the milliners and, and so on, um, to source a fashionable ensemble that he wanted Jean to wear in this picture. So it's very much of the moment and very much kind of in dialogue with um, fashion plates in the illustrated journals and magazines at the time. Given that its title is Jean, the first name of this woman, would she have been recognized by the public who came to the exhibition? Was she an identifiable public figure? No. Um, she later gained some recognition as an actress on the stage in Paris um, later in the 1880s and in the early 1890s. Um, but at this moment, she's a teenager and, you know, working as a, a model. Um, Manet represents her a few times in the late 70s, early 1880s, but she wouldn't have been widely recognized. And the way that critics looked at this picture, they described her very generically as a type. So what are the aspects of this painting that he modified so that it didn't seem so identifiable as a portrait, but rather as a type of a woman? Well, the thing that stands out for me is the particular profile of the nose. It sort of has a sharp profile, and there's a slight upturn at the, at, at the tip of the nose. It just has this kind of perky lift. And that's something that all the critics remarked upon as being, you know, very Parisienne. And when you compare photographs of Jean de Marcy to the, the painting, you notice that, like, the, the profile of the nose is, is somewhat different. And so that's, that, that, for me, is one very salient change that Manet made to you, you can almost make see, her a type. see him make that change because the brushstroke that comes down the tip of the nose is a lighter pink than is the reddish one around the back of the nose as if he's made a correction to it as if to sort of pick up that oh, perkiness he's talking yeah, about. No, I think I mean this is quite a a heavily worked picture this is not done in a single session and I think there's considerable evidence of Manet really paying a lot of attention to the profile and getting the shapes just right and getting the profile just the way he wanted um, we haven't done all the technical imaging yet because there was the desire to put it up in the gallery immediately when we acquired it but we really need to do I think the full gamut of technical analysis because it does look like there was considerable modifications to the profile in, in areas that you're describing there. It must have been an effort for him at the state of his health at the time to 
make a picture like this, certainly the Bartholdi bridge here, must have been a huge effort. Because we think of him at this time as painting just those still life, so just a couple of flowers and a glass face, you know, that they were, as if that was all that he could physically do at the time. Whereas this is a complicated picture that has to distinguish pattern on dress from pattern on paint, <laughs> in a way. No, I think that's right. And um, the young painter, Jacques-Emile Blanche, who was a friend of Manet's at the time, in his um, writings and memoirs, I mean, he talks about visiting Manet's studio when he was painting this and describes it as, you know, this is something that is worked and, and reworked. And yet in the final result, it still has a marvelous um, freshness and liveliness to it. But um, painting was always, to some extent, uh, a struggle for Manet. Even when he was in good health, he had a sort of um, a complicated relationship with painting where, you know, he wanted to get something right the first time and he wanted to have that freshness of the encounter with the model and to capture that and he was very quick to destroy and scrape and and rework and with with his portrait sittings he's notorious for you know 40 sittings in still not being satisfied and reworking bits and you know doing the head over again um bringing the sitter back you know, again and, and again and, and again in a lot of times when he was dealing with prominent politicians or whatever after a couple sittings they had they were busy they couldn't keep coming back to his studio and so a portrait would be abandoned just because Manet needed the model there and really depended on it but the, you know he was not facile in the way of just being able to to do something the 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 first go and I think part of the attraction of pastel you know he he did have this kind of wonderful natural aptitude to it and was able to do it more spontaneously as he would a drawing I, I know that you know a lot and that your colleagues know a lot about the dress and the history of the fashion at the time and so forth. Do we know anything about the history of makeup at the time? Because it does look like the face is powdered up, you know, and do, is there a, any understanding of what women did to their faces to, at the time to beautify I, them? I, I wish I was a makeup historian, but <laughs> I think your, your mentioning of the face powder is important and that, that is something that critics remarked upon. They mentioned, you know, rice powder, I guess, was a common, common uh, for face powder. And um, because of that resonance, they even compared the whole picture to pastel, which seems strange to us, but there was, there was, it, it resonated with, with pastel somehow and Manet sort of captured that softness and, and bloom of, 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 of feminine makeup and in his treatment of the flesh tones here. And actually the painting was exhibited behind glass as one would a pastel at, at the time. And that made the comparison even more obvious for contemporaries. So Manet is thinking across media at this time as well. So he projected it, that this as one of four pictures, one each after a season. He completed another. Likely he would have completed all four, do you think? But he died before he did complete them? That's the understanding. We don't know what the other two pictures would have been or which models necessarily they would have featured, but it was common at this moment, and there are other examples in the salon of artists exhibiting a complete series of four. Um, yeah, Alfred Stevens, a good friend of Manet, did a series on the Four Seasons featuring fashionable women. Um, a female artist named Louise Abama, in the same year that this was exhibited, exhibited a series of the seasons featuring actresses from the Comédie Française. Um, so it was definitely uh, something that was in the air and that other artists were doing. Um, and Manet's good friend, Bert Morisot, um, who was exhibiting in the Impressionist exhibitions while Manet was exhibiting in the Salon, she actually painted in very similar format to this, a summer and a winter, which were exhibited in 1880, 
in the Impressionist exhibition. So part of me likes to think that Manet's spring and autumn in some way complement or are in dialogue with the summer and winter by Bert Mori, so pictures which he would have known um, very well. Yeah, so he painted this on spec. He d- it wasn't a commission. Well, my understanding is that his childhood friend, Antonin Proust, who was... Was he the first owner of this painting? Who was the first owner of the picture um, and owned it at the time of the salon. Um, The idea is that he commissioned this series. Um, But this was the only picture that that, um, he owned of that that series. Um, And at the time, he was um, in, in late 1881, early 1882, he was minister of fine arts. So um, he was highly positioned in the new, you know, Republican Arts Administration and um, did a lot to, to further Manet's career at the very end. Um, and uh, for instance, the Legion of Honor was awarded to Manet at the end of 1881. Um, so this was shown at a moment when Manet is sort of being officially consecrated in some ways. Yeah. You know, we think of this painting as an uh, extraordinary painting of a kind of youthful exuberance. Uh, this young woman is looking to be in her early 20s, I, I assume. Doesn't seem to be very Late old. teenager, actually. Uh, late teenager. Yeah. Uh, this is, but Manet himself is not that old at this time. He's in his 60s, I suppose he is, maybe. But it is near the end of his life, and he's physically infirm. Uh, so there's a kind of poignant uh, poignant quality to this painting, which the painting seems to be a kind of positive, optimistic picture, whereas, of course, he's now deeply infirmed. He's lost a leg. Has he lost a leg by no, this he, time? No, he loses a leg um, just a few weeks before he dies, but he is increasingly sort of immobile and confined to his apartment and the studio. Each summer, starting in, you know, 1879, he's taking these rest cures in the suburbs of Paris. He's undergoing hydrotherapy treatments, um, and he's, he's not able to go out and about in, in Paris um, the way he loved to do, and, and you know, his sort of identity as the man about town, the worldly flaneur, was such an intrinsic part of his identity that um, the, the confinement that he sort of had to endure at the very end, you know, uh, does, does take on this sort of tragic quality. But from all accounts, he really maintained uh, a fairly positive face. He remained as social as ever, and instead of going out to all the cafes, he had sort of society come to him, and there was just a constant stream of visitors in his studio, and and especially a lot of you know young pretty models, and you know who, who he was representing not only in oil paintings like Jeanne, but also in these incredibly fresh um, and and spontaneous pastel portraits he right, was doing right. on canvas around the time and you know he was thinking about 18th century French art and there's a kind of a, a Rococo spirit of, of exuberance as you say and and a real embrace of femininity which to, to our eyes seems you know especially French and yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. sort of Rococo so there is this dichotomy between you know his declining health and and then the public face that he's putting forward with, with his art. Yeah. And when you look at a painting like this, you have to think back to earlier paintings uh, as if he's reflecting on his career also. And those early paintings might include the balcony with Bert Morisot and with his brother in the background, but also a fashionable woman and the, the four of them all dressed in their finery at the time. And that painting is, must be the late 60s? I, th- I think so, yeah. yeah. And then I'm, I'm drawn to the conservatory that's in Berlin, 
which is a painting of the early 70s, in which this has a very beautiful young woman seated, in, wearing the finest of the fashionable clothes, seated on a bench in a conservatory with her husband, I suppose, or a suitor behind her, this man behind her, leaning over the bench, looking down at her. He's dressed as equally as beautifully as she, he in male garb, of course, she in female garb, and they're set in a backdrop of floral patterning like this bush. So there's a sense of recurring preoccupation with the fashionable, with high societal life, uh, and the sense that he's coming back to it at the end of his career. Is there a sense of looking over his career, do you think, at this time? I think that's true, and I'm glad you mentioned the um, in the conservatory picture, which um, he exhibited, I think, in the 1879 Salon, and the idea for Jean really does date back to that moment. Um, there are several conservatory pictures which you know have these backgrounds of, of greenery and his very first pastel representation of Jean Demarcy featured in this painting date back to that moment so there's actually a pastel of Jean in profile with a fashionable hat and dress seated on that same bench with the, the greenery backdrop so I think the, the pictorial idea of this really does date back to that moment exactly and this is sort of the, the culminating point of it. But there are also comparisons between uh, the concept of these four seasons embodied by four different women in the finery dress to Japanese images, Japanese prints, I think, but maybe even Japanese watercolor paintings. But, and then I know that you have talked about or have shown a comparison between this painting and a 16th century painting. So was he aware of these kinds of traditions and he was drawing on those traditions? Well, Manet was um, a great devotee of the Louvre and was, you know, highly conscious of art historical tradition. Um, you know, in the 1860s especially, there's all kinds of references to Goya and Velazquez and um, 18th century French art as well. There is a very well-known 15th century picture in the Louvre by, I want to say, Pisanello, featuring a young aristocratic Italian woman against a uh, a backdrop similar to this. I mean, stylistically, it's a picture he could have seen, different, but a picture he he could easily have have known. Um, and also, to be to be fair, in the salon in these years, there are many many profile portraits um, against you know d decorative backdrops. I mean, it was a pretty conventional kind of format. But Manet certainly would have been aware of the the art historical resonances. And as you mentioned, um, Japanese prints. The, there are these ukiyo-e prints featuring courtesans as seasons, um, you know, in kind of natural settings. So um, I'm not sure how well documented those are in relationship to Manet and if he would have been um, directly aware of those. But certainly, you know, there are plenty of people in his circle who um, were in the cutting edge in the vanguard in terms of the discovery of Japanese art in, in France, and it's, it's likely that Manet would have known those. So the painting is exhibited in 1882 in the yes. Salon? It's already owned, I think you said at the time, by Proust, yeah? Uh, and then Proust sells it, it goes into the collection of four? Is that right? Yeah, who was a um, very well-known opera singer who was, in some ways, the greatest collector um, of Manet's art starting in owned, the 1870s. He had a big collection. I think he owned in the conservatory. It's, it's possible. I, I, I couldn't say for sure, but I, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, he had a huge collection of Manet's art, and, um, and we don't know exactly when he acquired it from Proust, probably sometime in the 1890s. And... Um, and then eventually for, um, sold it to the famous dealer of the Impressionist, Paul Durand-Ruel. And it was Durand-Ruel who 
export of the painting from France to the Durand Royal Gallery in New York in 1909, I think, and then sold it um, to an American collector. And it stayed in that collector's family um, until 2014 um, when it came up for auction in New York when the Getty had the opportunity to acquire it. So um, it's, it's wonderful to have it here because it's, it's a picture that's been missing from all the major Manet exhibitions in the past 50 years, and we've kind of given it a, a new debut here. Yeah. So what does this painting do for our collection of Manet paintings? Well, the Getty had two pictures in the collection already. We had a very early 1860s picture, a portrait of Madame Brunet, who was the wife of a sculptor friend of Manet's, and that's done in that very very Spanish-influenced style of Manet's career at that, that time there. You know, it has it basically quotes from a royal portrait by Velázquez, and she's, she's wearing black. she's wearing a big crinoline dress in the big that big kind of hoop skirt dress that goes way out, which was the fashion in the Second Empire, and which was completely out of fashion by the time he's painting Jean in the early 1880s. And yes, Madame Brunet's dress is very very black, and it's really a painting all about Manet's mastery of black and his dialogue with masters of black like Velázquez. And whereas this is coming after Manet's engagement with Impressionism, the palette is much lighter, much brighter, the brushwork is much more sort of broken in an Impressionistic manner. Um, but you'll notice that there's still some of the signature black in this painting in the, in the bow that uh, tying the bonnet um, in, in, in the portrait. So. And you said the painting now will be included, if it had a history of not being included in exhibitions, it's going to be included in an exhibition that the Getty's doing with the Art Institute of Chicago. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there was so much excitement around the time of the acquisition of this, and maybe a week after we had put it up in the galleries here, um, my colleague at the Art Institute, Gloria Groom, was here visiting, and she had recently curated this wonderful show, Impressionism, Fashion, and Modernity, which was in Paris, New York, and Chicago. And so she was really excited that the Getty acquired this painting and said, oh, we have to, we have to do a show. And I was like, I agree, <laughs> we have to do a show. And that's basically how it happened. So in summer and fall of 2019, we're doing what is essentially a late Manet exhibition that will be structured thematically around Jeanne. So it will be Manet's late pictures of women, but also garden and conservatory pictures, flower paintings, um, all of these things that resonate with, with this picture and that sort of sum up Manet's interests late, late in his life. Well, it's a beautiful picture and an important picture, and congratulations on the acquisition, and thanks for spending time with us this morning. Thank you. Our theme music comes from the Dharma at Big Sur, composed by John Adams for the opening of the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles in 2003. It is licensed with permission from Hendon Music. Look for new episodes of Art and Ideas every other Wednesday. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud, or visit getty.edu slash podcasts for more resources. Thanks for listening. <laughs>